Um, pastor, he, he cracks me up and because he, he studies like crazy and it's like he's, he's getting it in him. And I'm kind of different in that I feel like what God does to me is like pull something out of me that he put in me. And so when I, I speak tonight, it's something that is very heavy on my soul. It's something that God won't stop dealing with me about. And just to be completely transparent, God has been um, dealing with me about this for weeks, weeks and weeks. And so I just uh, welcome you to eat of his word tonight. In Jesus' name. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Truth be told, I've quoted Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 in tons of sermons over the years. It's one worth quoting, but too often the emphasis for me, and I would dare to say for a lot of people in this room, has been verse 8 and 9, and that's for good reason. Verse 8 and 9 is powerful. It packs a punch. It's about salvation, is it not? That is what it's talking about, that God is seeking out man. It's not of our own doing that God is pursuing us, and it's by his grace we are saved. Nothing we can do can save ourselves. It is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, so we might not boast. Amen? But salvation is just the beginning. It's just the beginning, and that's what verse 10 is trying to tell us. Salvation is just the beginning. Salvation doesn't just mark the end of a journey. It's the end of your dead life, right? But it doesn't just mark the end of a journey. Salvation marks the beginning of the journey. It might help you a little bit more to just think about it like this. I like to think about it like this. Let's use marriage as an example, all right? When it comes to marriage, there is a lot of emphasis put on the wedding day, as we should. It's a big day. It's an important day. For some people, it's an expensive day. For some people, it's a whirlwind. It gets a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of photography, a lot of traditions, right? You tracking with me? Anybody been to a wedding? You guys ever been to a wedding before? You guys didn't? Uh, I know there are married people in here. I'm not crazy, right? It's a glorious occasion. But the wedding day is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. The most important day of a marriage is not the first one. The most important day of your marriage is the last one. The true test of the wedding day are the days that follow the wedding day. And to get where God wants us to go tonight, to get where I believe so, where God wants you to get in your life and to accomplish this mission that God is inviting us all into, you got to get a hold of what God is telling us in verse 10. And I want to read it one more time, and if they could just leave it up for a while. I'm going to bring a few things out of this before we move on. I'll read, would you read it with me? Would you like focus in? For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you could just leave that up for me, that would be awesome for a little while. I want to say four things about this before we move on. First thing, notice, we are his. We are his. We, we don't look over that. You're not your own doing. You're not your own idea. You're not your own person. You're not on your own. You're his. And until we find our, until we find and know our father, truth is, no one on this earth, until they find and know their father, can know their intended purpose, can know what they were created to do, can know who they were meant to be. And if you know God, I hope you know exactly what I'm talking about. Until we meet him, we cannot know our intended purpose. We cannot know what we were created to. We cannot know who we were meant to be. Second thing I want you to notice, God prepared, God created, excuse me, you for what? Good works. God created you for good works. God has things that he wants to accomplish on this earth and he wants you to join him in completing them. These were, these are, excuse me, his ideas, his plans. This is what he wants to do with you. Third thing I want you to notice, he prepared them beforehand. He prepared them beforehand. Before you were ever born, there were things that God wanted you to join him in doing and completing. I think too often, sometimes when we talk about salvation, we kind of get it a little, little wrong. And let me explain. Salvation is not you inviting God into your life and your plans. Salvation is God inviting you into his. That's what it's about. That's what it's like. But a lot of people, what, what often happens, too often happens, is this. We try to pull God into our plans our works, our life. Instead, God is inviting you, hey, come join me in what I'm doing. Come join me in my life, in my plans, in my work. Let's do this together. But this is what this looks like. I'm gonna give you a little illustration. You're like, what's this basketball? I need some help from my beautiful wife for a moment. Ideally, this would be a headset moment. I'm not a headset guy. No offense to you headset people, all you many public speakers out there. I don't know how they do it. Lord willing, if he pushes me one day, just come with me. Yeah, sorry. She's like a, a sheep led to slaughter or a pig or whatever. She's, she's beautiful. She's not, a, oh, all right. We're not going down that trail. All right. I love her. Good grief. Don't leave, Holy Spirit. All right. Some of y'all know what this is. The real goat, right? Got this in second grade. Still have it in my drawer. Put it on, right? Anyway, this is what we look like. Hear me out in this representation. Now, I know I'm not God, to be clear. But act like for a moment, this is God. This is his life. This is his plans. And this is what it looks like when we try to put our little small, minuscule, small-brained idea 
into God's plans. And we try to shove them in. This is what it looks like. I'm not even trying to be dramatic. This just doesn't work. Does this work? No, all right. I'm going to keep it on, though, for you. Because I, I don't know if everybody's getting it yet. I'm going to wear it on my arm. All right. Come with me. Yeah. So imagine. Because I don't know if you're tracking with me. Uh, not, they can't even see it. That's my bad. Can you see now? Yay. All right. This hoop is my hoop, right? Some of y'all, you're shaking your head. This is the point. I don't hope you don't forget this. This is the point, all right? This is, this is my idea. These are my plans. And this is God. Now, this isn't to scale. God is much bigger than this. My plans are much smaller than that. But this is what that looks like. I think you get the point. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. His plans. We've got to stop trying to shove God into our plans. Because this is what happens. If I got in the flesh, I would have got fresh. I want that Jordan jersey to fit, right? What happens when we're trying to shove God into our plans? We get frustrated. You wonder why you're frustrated. Why you're discouraged. Maybe you're just in a season, but maybe God's trying to tell you something. Maybe you thought, I just, I saw the look on some of y'all's faces. And if you were to talk to me, you're like, this guy's a fool. This is what happens when we try to shove God into our plans, we look like fools. That's what we do. We look like fools. And this is what happens. Then we'll blame God, right? Well, God, why? Why, why didn't you complete what I thought you wanted to do? Why did that not work? And God's like, I wasn't in any of that. I didn't ask you to do any of that. Or maybe what you do is you play the devil card. Well, the devil, he just... He just stopped me in my tracks. I just couldn't get through. He just pulled me down, wore me out, and I'm just going to throw up my hands and give up. I'm going to tell you something. If God asks you to do something, God's going to get his work done. The devil's never stopped God from getting his job done. He tried on the cross. Look what happened. He's been trying for thousands of years. It doesn't work. Trying to fit God in your plans doesn't work, doesn't fit. I hope that sticks in your mind, and I'll say it again a couple more times tonight. But the beautiful thing is, instead, God is inviting us to take place where we fit in his. God's inviting you to take your place where you fit in his plans. Fourth thing. Hope you packed a snack. Fourth thing. What does it say at the end? That we should walk in them. We should walk. As I already said, salvation, it's just the first step. But God's not calling you to just take one step. 
God's asking you to walk. God's asking you to walk. And he wants to walk. He wants you to walk right beside him. That's what he wants. Your most important step isn't your first step, it's your last step. And you are not defined by your best days on this earth and you're not defined by your worst days on this earth. You are more so defined by the sum of your days. And will you spend your days walking in step with God or will you just do your own thing till you die? That's the big question tonight is this. After your first step, what's your next step's going to look like? Will you join God in what he wants to do, or are you just going to keep doing your own thing, doing things God's not a part of? Let me tell you something, people. God's not just looking, <coughs> excuse me, for hard workers who are full of ambition. God is looking for co-laborers. God is looking for people who will join him in his work. And that's the idea tonight. If I had to have a title, it would be simply this, co-laborers. And to get into this a little bit more, this is where we'll spend most of the rest of our time tonight. 1 Corinthians 3. I told you, I hope you packed a snack. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. This is what it says. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ... I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. You are not being merely human. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Little context here. Some of you are, may already know these things, but it's okay if you don't. The Corinthian church that Paul wrote this letter to, he wrote two letters, both very extensive, very lengthy with lots of correction. The reason he had to correct them so much is because they were very immature people. And they were allowing things to divide them that were really dumb things that should not have divided them whatsoever. And here in chapter 3, Paul is dealing with one of those dividing things. So he's got people in Corinth who are having arguments about their pastor and who was the better pastor, who was the better leader. And that's why Paul's talking about Apollos. These were the kind of fights going on. Some people were like, Apollos, he's a better preacher than Paul. Paul needs to get his preaching game up. He puts me to sleep. And he's like, oh, well, that might be true about Apollos, but I promise you Paul's theology is way better than Apollos. Apollos' theology is garbage. And so on and so forth. Not saying either thing is true, but I'm just giving you some examples of what it might have been like 2,000 years ago. They'd have probably been using words like whack and dope and things like that. I don't know. Anyway, 
All right. Let's rein it in. Could you put verse five back up? So they're passionately, they're getting into this thing. They're like, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos, right? And what does Paul say in verse five? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. What does Paul say? Me and Apollos, we're just servants. We're just people that God has worked through to help you believe. The Lord is the one who brought us here. He assigned us to you. This is God's doing. This is God's plan. He gets the credit for this. Neither one of us get the credit We're just servants. What does he say on in chapter 4, verse 1? If you read on, he's trying to hammer this point home. He says this, 1 Corinthians 4, 1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, we're not worth arguing about. We are no one. This is about him. Verse 9, we're just fellow workers, we're just co-laborers with God and one another. And Paul uses this language in another, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 1, he uses this co-laborer, fellow worker language when he says, after uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, you should read for yourself, but he says this after saying those words, working together with him, with God, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I'm just a co-laborer, Paul says. And who are you, Corinth? You are the field. You are the building. You're the field God called us to plow, plant, and water. You're the building that God called us to build. We are just doing what God has asked us to do. We're just joining him in his work. Let's shift the attention to you for a little bit. Well, really, for the rest of the night, I guess. The church of Corinth was just one of the fields that God wanted Paul and Apollos to work with him in. What about you? What about you? What field? And I'm not talking about necessarily career, but what work is God calling you, asking you to join him in? And that's question one, and this is one of the big ideas. Three big things tonight, but what field has God prepared for you to join him in? Please understand, if we have taken the first step, God is calling us to be a part of his work, of his field, of his building. But God, that is the general call, but I believe that according to the word of God, that God has more specific things in mind for you to accomplish with him. In this moment, as Paul wrote this, and as Paul was in Corinth, it was Corinth. In this moment right here, right now of my life, it's you, it's Next Level Youth, it's Poplar Bluff. That's what God's put on my heart. But what about you? What about you? Have you asked God? Have you asked him, what good works do you have in mind for me? Or you just keep doing your own thing. God is inviting all believers 
into building his kingdom. And the need for laborers is great. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He was doing work. Go read those chapters. Jesus was doing work. He's like, there is tons of work to be get done. The laborers are few. And as a laborer, as someone who accepts this call, the only way to not be overwhelmed by the weight of this thing, the weight of building God's kingdom, is to find what God is asking you to do in it. If you just look at the big picture, if you just fixate on the world, you'll get overwhelmed by it and say, I'm not that big, God. I'm not that big. And God's saying, I didn't call you to save the whole world. I got a specific thing in mind for you. Another way to put it is this. What does God want to break your heart about? God is not going to break your heart over everything. And that's part of the reason you're, you're, you're so overwhelmed and anxious, perhaps, if you are. It's that you fixate on the darkness and you fixate on the needs and you consume the news. And you can, your Facebook algorithm knows you like pity parties and it wants you to join. You laugh, but I'm serious. And you sit there and you get overwhelmed, consuming things God asked you to consume, taking on weight God didn't ask you to bear. And when you do that, all it leads to is apathy, where you get so overwhelmed you won't do anything, or cynicism, which is even worse. But God... And, God, and, and to be clear, to be clear about, about this, about God breaking your heart, God wants to do more than for you to have some little moment. Understand, God wants to do more in you than just for you to have some little moment where you shed a tear or a few tears and you're filled with good intentions. And God wants to do more with you than just ask you to throw money and prayer at it and those things have their place and I'm not knocking those things they're important and there are things God is asking you to pray about and to put money to because it's not your thing but understand I believe God wants you to do more than that his word says so God wants to break your heart look at me please God wants to break your heart. And when he does it, he wants it to knock you to your knees. And he wants it to knock you to your knees because when you're at your knees, it's when you're in perfect position to hear. Because God wants to do more than just break your heart. When he knocks you to your knees, you're in perfect position to hear how. God will do more than just give you a what. He'll give you the how. And if you want to know how, get on your knees. If you want to know how, 
God, you've, you've broke my heart. This feels big. This feels huge. I'm on my knees. You want to know how? Open this. And take off your worldview and take off your American view and look at the word for what it says and let God speak to you and let God break your heart. It's more than tears. It's a responsibility that God is asking you to take on and you just get a small glimpse of it. You just get a picture and oftentimes God won't give you the full picture and you want to know why? I heard someone say this the other day. You want to know why God will break our heart and he won't give us the full picture how and he won't tell us exactly what it's going to look like? You want to know why? Because if we knew how, we would run to it. And God doesn't want you to run. God wants you to walk. You want to know why God wants you to walk? Because he wants to walk with you. Because you know what God wants more from you than you doing what you're called to do? He wants intimacy with you. He wants to walk with you. We're looking for a quick fix. We're looking for it to be done fast. God's saying, walk, boy, walk, walk. You can do less than you think you can in a year. You can do way more than you think you can with 10. Imagine a lifetime. That wasn't in the notes. It was free. It's from my best friend, Craig Rochelle. What's up, Craig? Good to see you. I love you, man. I don't know Craig Rochelle. That was just for me. That wasn't for you. That was for me. I needed that. I'll ask again, what does God want to break your heart about? And as I've already said, the second thing is this. I've already hinted at this, but when God asks you to be a part of something bigger than yourself, he provides the how. Hear me, church. God provides the how. Whatever field God asks you to join him in, he provides the plow. And it's his plow. And he designed it. And it's efficient. And it's perfect. And it does things exactly the way he wants them to be done. It's his plow. And it's his seed. God doesn't need your ideas. He's got this thing figured out. He's got the gospel figured out. It's his. He doesn't need you. And your ideas, I mean, he needs you to just use his seed. It's his seed. It's his water. It's his. He doesn't need your spit. He needs you to use his water. It's his power. It's God's power that enables you to plow and to sow and to water and to plow and to sow and to water. And when you're plowing with his plow and you're sowing his seed and you're watering with his water, he brings the harvest. The harvest is his. It's not yours. It's his. And I didn't think I was going to say this, but I feel the need to say this right now. And I said this to my students a few weeks ago. We see a lot of pastors in these past couple years have fell and fallen, right? You want to know one of the biggest reasons pastors fall? 
and they fail and they have these big blow-ups and moral failures, I think a lot of them at some point, they start to take credit for the harvest. Did you hear me? They start to take credit for the harvest. And when you do that, you're not doing his work anymore. You're doing your own. And when that light's on you, you're going to fall. You're going to get exposed. But when you get to join God in what he's doing and he brings the harvest, God brings about more than you could ever imagine. 30, 60, 100,000, million, billion, trillion fold. It's his harvest. And Paul understood this. Paul understood this. And because Paul understood that he got no credit, that the harvest was not his, Paul got to do way more than he ever thought he could. Do you think Paul knew that when he penned these epistles, they would be canon? Do you think Paul thought 2,000 years later, there'd be some dingus named Zach Bogus talking about him at the Palace of Praise on August 20th, 2023? No. No. He didn't. Because Paul didn't take the credit, he got to do far more than he ever thought he could. And he got to make an impact far beyond what he ever thought he could. And we should not ever, because Paul didn't, God didn't, and it's clear right here, right now. We should never look at it as, look what Paul did. Instead, it's more like, look what God did with a mere man like Paul. God gets the credit, not Paul. David didn't kill Goliath. God did. You think David killed Goliath? Quit giving him the credit then. God did. Did Daniel shut the mouths of the lions? No. God did that. Did Elijah rain down fire from heaven and conquer and take on Ahab, Jezebel, and 800 prophets of Baal? Was that Elijah's doing on Mount Carmel? No, God did that. When Moses parted the Red Sea, did he part the Red Sea? No, God did that. May we get in a position and may we humble ourselves enough And may we join God in doing something on this earth and be a part of something so miraculous that we can never take the credit. But he gets it all. He gets it all. I hope to join him in something so beautiful and glorious and powerful. And I believe I will. Once again, God was and is the how. Before I wrap this up, don't get too excited. Don't put those snacks in your purse yet. Final point is this. We wrap up. Number three, be sure you don't get drawn into your own field. Hear me out. Let's go to Luke 15. Be straight with you. God's been dealing me from Luke 15 so much, and some of the people around me are probably getting sick of me talking about Luke chapter 15. They can get over it. 
Luke 15, it's the story of, it's the parable, excuse me, of the prodigal and the elder brother. But I'm just going to read the end of verse 25 through 32. This is what it says. Now his older brother, or excuse me, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Would you put verse 25 back up for me, please? Where was he? He was in the field. Here's the warning. Don't be like the older brother in this parable. And let me explain. And it's going to take me a while to explain. This older son, the oldest son, the older brother was working away in a field that he chose doing his own way, his own power. And he was slapping his dad's name on it. I'll explain. Why do I say that? This is why. His dad wasn't in that field. His dad wasn't there. And if his dad really knew what his dad, or if his, the son really knew what his dad was up to, he wouldn't have been in the field at all. He would have been somewhere else. He was the epitome of trying to shove his own plans into God's. I want to enlighten you to something. Have you ever just like ran to God and got really honest and then you start to tell God like what strategy you would use to fix everything? Have you ever went to the throne room of God and, and tried to consult him as if he needed your consulting? God doesn't need a strategist. God doesn't need a consultant. God knows exactly what he's doing. He's not asking you to do anything that he's not out there doing it with you. Do you understand? God does not ask you to go and be a part of something that he won't give you the tools to do, that he won't give you the power to do, that he won't do right beside you. Do you understand that God literally is working and he wants you to join him side by side? Do you understand that?
Ephesians 2 is talking about we can't earn our salvation, right? You remember that part? You remember that part? Are you awake out there? Four of you? There's an absolute epidemic of good fathers in this world. And because that's true, too many people come to God and they have a hard time grasping Him as Father. And they carry these father wounds into this relationship. And so the idea of a father ever inviting them to be a part of what they're doing is foreign. And it doesn't make sense. And too often what happens is, is that we carry those misconceptions into our relationship with God the Father. And instead of viewing him as someone who wants to be right next to you, instead you view him, if you're not careful, I, I feel like, I believe, feel, I don't like that word, I believe oftentimes, what happens is, is that we know God wants us to do something, right? But we don't view him as being right here. Instead, we view God more as like a slave driver. Like he's got the whip and he's just ready to crack when you get out of line. He's ready to hit you hard when you're not working hard enough. Our God is not like that at all. And our God is not some distant God who sits in his corner office waiting for stat, stats and waiting for a return to get on his desk so he can analyze and decide whether or not you're worth keeping or not. No, God isn't in a corner office somewhere. God is in a field working. He wants to work right next to you and he wants to use you. He knows you're messed up. Did you hear me? He knows you're messed up. He wants to use you anyway. I am almost done. I am. Lord willing. I hope when sermons are preached, you don't just uh, fall into the trap of like looking at your neighbor and be like, ah, oh, this is for you, sapsucker. Like, I hope, I hope that you will let God work on you. And in this moment, um, I, I pray you've already been reflecting a little bit and letting the Lord into your heart and your soul. But this older brother, I'm not done with him yet. I'm going to rake him through the coals a little longer. He, he gives us four warning signs of someone who is in their own field. And I'm just going to go quickly over those four things. If these things are in your own life, you might be doing your own thing. You might need to refocus yourself. Number one, you want your work to be noticed. That older brother wanted that hard work. He wanted a pat on the back. He wanted that party. 
He wanted to be noticed. If you're with God, side by side, working, you should be content. The only person you should be worried about is him. You want to get work done? Stop looking at everybody else. Stop asking to get noticed. Know where your reward is. And know who your friend is. Know who your father is. Number two, you get caught playing the comparison game. That's what he did. Dad, look at my life. Look at my fruit. You're celebrating that? You're working in that? What's that all about? If you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, you're in your own field. Three goes hand in hand. You get jealous of what God is doing in someone else's field. You get jealous. We're in this thing together, y'all. Paul understood that. You think Paul didn't like, oh, I'm, I, no, I'm going to pull back a little bit. Number four, you can't celebrate others well. I know all these things kind of go hand in hand, but hear me out. If you have a hard time celebrating other people's success, what God's doing in someone else's field. If you have a hard time with that, like think about this, that, that older brother, he disowns him. He's like, you're not even my brother. In other words, you're not even a Christian, right? Right? He couldn't even suck it up. He couldn't even grin and bear it. He couldn't even walk in the house. I don't think, it didn't seem that way. We're kind of left open-ended, but I, I think the older brother peaced. I think he said, deuces, I'm out. He couldn't even go in and grin and bear it and eat a steak and dance. Like, what's wrong with him? Free steak. So caught up in himself. So jealous. So conceited. So caught up in playing the comparison game. So needing affirmation. And God, God's like that father in the story. Son, I've been right here the whole time. You've been out there and I'm right here. And I want to celebrate you too. Read the story. He wanted to celebrate his older son too. It was an open-ended invitation. I want to read these verses one more time and then we'll stand after I read these verses. Verse seven and eight from 1 Corinthians 3. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. It's not about you. Those other people that are working, we all got the same goal and same mission should be, and it's his, not our own. Amen. Would you stand with me?